This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we are coming off of a UFC Fight Night card featuring Alexander Volkov versus Jairzinho Rosenstreich. Volkov, the victor in the fight. But I think that there was a fight that had a little bit more significance on this particular card if you look at it. And that's going to be the subject of my monologue for today. We had a co-main event featuring Movsar Evloyev defeating Dan Ige. And he defeated him in pretty lopsided fashion. Evloyev looking like the real deal. And to me, I think that this signals a real changing of the guard in the featherweight division because the featherweight division has been fairly stagnant for some time. It's been all the same players. I mean, I know the Korean zombie came along and he got a title shot, but that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Holloway again. Now, of course, that trilogy fight is going to be happening next month. But I think now is the time where we're going to start seeing some new contenders start to rise in the featherweight division. A featherweight revolution, so to speak. And that's the subject of this week's monologue. Since December of 2019, the featherweight division has been centered around two individuals. You've got the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, and Max Holloway. And they're about to meet up for a third time And if Holloway wins, hey, it could even be a fourth time. The reason why three of the last five featherweight title bouts will be contested by these two men is pretty apparent. When you look at how they've performed in the last three-plus years, aside from when they fight each other, these guys are lapping the competition. Since 2018, they've outstruck their featherweight opponents not named Volkanovski or Holloway by a combined 987 strikes, an average of nearly 100 significant strikes per fight. The other issue is that it's been really hard to find new suitors for the featherweight championship because of the dominance of these two men. But... I think that's about to change. A featherweight revolution is upon us, my friends, and I believe that this past weekend's performance by Mosar Evloyev will be the defining moment in a wave of new divisional contenders. There are several up-and-coming fighters that are either in their prime or approaching their prime that have made a lot of noise of late in the division. Arnold Allen has won nine straight, Evloyev and Bryce Mitchell, six straight, Ilya Topuria, four straight, Pat Sabatini and Lerone Murphy, three straight, Sadiq Yusuf has won 5 of 6. Charles Jordan has won 3 of 4. Yair Rodriguez is still only 29. And then there are others like Hakeem Dawudu, Sung Woo Choi, and Joe Anderson Brito on the come up. The biggest question for me is who are going to be the ones that break through? The ones that are able to beat the grizzled vets of the division. Brian Ortega, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, Giga Chikadze. Who are going to beat these guys? The biggest problem is that this division has spent the last four years with contender after contender getting stonewalled just as they were about to break through. But the good news is... This absolute shark tank of a division is about to get even more interesting than it's ever been. Pull these names out of a hat and you're going to get matchup after glorious matchup. So get excited because we get to see the ultimate rematch once more between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway for a third time. And from there, we're going to see a new class of featherweights rise to the top and become the next great fighters of this division. I'm Aaron Bronstetter and this was The Monologue. There you have it. That's the monologue for this week. Looking at the featherweight division, we now have Movsar Evloyev moving up to number 10. Dan Ige, Sadiq Yusuf, and Edson Barboza dropping one spot. But just looking at the names of the fighters that are starting to come up in this division and those that are at the top right now, some of the gatekeepers, so to speak. I mean, we're going to have the third fight between Volkanovski and Holloway. If Holloway wins, we could see a fourth fight, like I mentioned in the monologue, and it could just still end up being the same players. But... I don't think Ortega is getting a title shot anytime soon. He's going to be facing Yair Rodriguez, who I also don't think, unless he really beats Brian Ortega badly, 
and Volkanovski beats Holloway. I don't think we're going to see a Yair Rodriguez title shot. Then we've got Calvin Cater. He's still a, a player in the division. Could see him get a title shot if, if Volkanovski wins, as uh, that would be a new challenger. In fact, most of the fighters right now in the featherweight rankings would be new challenges to Volkanovski. Yair's never fought him. Cater's never fought him. Arnold Allen's never fought him, or really anybody towards the top of the division just yet. Uh, Josh Emmett, of course, hasn't fought him. Giga hasn't fought him. Basically, everybody else has not fought against Alexander Volkanovsky yet, because he, the guys that he beat to get to the championship are not really in the, you know, they're not making any noise in the division anymore, or they're not in the UFC anymore, or they're not in the featherweight division anymore, like Jose Aldo, for example. Chad Mendes now over at Bare Knuckle. And like, those are the two names that he beat, and they're two of the greatest featherweights of all time, so I'm not trying to diminish that accomplishment. But since then, the two wins over Holloway, the win over Brian Ortega, again, pretty lopsided win there, and another really lopsided win against the Korean Zombie. So Volkanovski has looked like a pretty strong champion in the featherweight division so far, save for those two fights with Holloway, because they're close fights. They were very close fights. I thought that Volkanovski won both of them, to be honest. And I guess that the judges agreed. But very, very, especially the second fight, very hotly contested fight. And I think the third fight's going to be very close as well. Holloway's looked so good. And that's been one of the other issues, is that all these guys, when they step up and end up facing like a Max Holloway, they get shut down. They don't look like they're anywhere near championship caliber. And that's why I think guys like Evloyev, like Bryce Mitchell, Arnold Allen has won nine straight, Ilya Topuria, these are the new faces of this division that I think are going to start coming up because Volkanovski is not going to be the champion forever. He's, what, almost 34 years old. He could be the champion realistically for another two, three years, but eventually the field's going to catch up. And I always talked about moving up to lightweight and challenging for that uh, title, but there's still so many players in that division as well. You look at Oliveira, his next fight likely going to be against Islam Makhachev. He's the next highest-ranked guy. But basically, he's beaten <laughs> two, three, and five. He's beaten Poirier, Gaethje, and Chandler. And the reason that and that should really be one, two, and four, but because Oliveira is, you know, it's a vacant championship right now, he's technically number one. Although I think most people would consider Oliveira to be the champion of the division, regardless of what happened in Phoenix last month. But then you've got some of the younger guys coming up. You got Fiziev, who's taking on Dos Anjos soon. You got Tsarukian taking on Gamrot soon. Both of them are looking to. One of them's looking to, I guess, kind of rise above and get uh, closer to the top. But outside of that, I mean, hey, Oliveira's come close to, to cleaning out. The, I mean, Benil Darius, I should mention as well. Benil Darius is a fantastic fighter. I don't know what's going to happen with him. I, would, I think a Chandler fight against Darius would be great. Because it doesn't look like he's going to fight Gaethje. Even a Poirier fight, I think, would be good too. I saw rumors today that they're looking at doing Poirier versus Gaethje in August. They, pff, sign me up. Rematch of that fight. That fight was one of the great, greatest fights ever. Go back and watch Gaethje versus Poirier one. If there, I mean, if there is a rematch, it could be the only one. But go back and watch that fight. That was a phenomenal fight. Some other results from this past weekend's card, just to look at. Not a whole lot to talk about, really. There was a whole saga with Azkar Masharov, who basically made up. His, I don't know if he did, but his management seemingly were trying to convince people that he had more wins and less losses than he actually did have. Sounds like a headache for the matchmakers. I don't think that we're going to see him fight in the UFC again. I think that that loss to Menefield, is, that's a one and done in my opinion. Unless they really want to feed him to the Wolves, whoever that would be in uh, the light heavyweight division. 
Karolina Kovalkiewicz gets back in the win column. She looked really good against Felice Herrig, and Herrig subsequently retires after the fight. Solid career for Felice Herrig. She was one of the uh, pioneers of the women's strawweight division. She deserves her flowers. Daniel Argetta looked really good against Damon Jackson. I know Jackson was like a close to a 7-1 favorite, and Argetta made it a fight. I know Jackson won unanimous decision, but that was a close fight. Aaron Blanchfield won the opener against uh, J.J. Aldrich. Lost the first round, came back, standing guillotine choke to secure the tap in the second round. And Jeff Molina, i got to give this guy a lot of props. He beats Jalga Zhumagulov. I actually had the fight scored for Zhumagulov. I gave him rounds one and two, but I think you can make a case that Molina won all three of those rounds, no problem. Like People calling that a robbery? You don't know what a robbery is. That was a close, close fight. But Molina also took a big W outside of the cage. And I don't even think he thought he was making a big stand. I don't think he thought that he was, you know, doing anything outside of just being, like he, I think he, the way he put it, was just being a decent person. And supporting Pride Month. And it seemed like there were a lot of people that came out of the woodwork to, you know, slam Molina for that move, which I think is very telling about our society today. But he thought it was a, a fairly benign thing to do, to just wear, wear trunks that had rainbow lettering on them in support of Pride Month. So... Kudos to Jeff Molina, because I don't think that he had any sort of intention to make himself the story for that reason. I think he wanted the story to be that he got a win over a really tough opponent in Jumagulov. And Molina's been touting Jumagulov's record and the, the types of fights that he had won to get into UFC, and he's 100% right. Jumagulov's a great fighter. I mean, hey, that was a really close fight. So we'll see what's next for Molina, but I, I just got to give the guy some props, because he stood up for himself. He, you know, didn't back down when it came to people hating on him. So good for Jeff Molina. I, uh, I've always, I mean, I've always liked Jeff Molina. You, you probably know that from hearing me interview him a bunch of times. I just love his attitude. I, I think he's got a great fight IQ. It's nice to see him getting into coaching. Just seems to have a good head on his shoulders. So this, you know, made me just like him more I, because I think that he is not only a great fighter but showed a lot of character last week. But we're not really here to talk about. Volkov and Rosenstroik, even though I think Volkov really had an impressive win. I think that might have been his fastest win so far. I mean, let's look that up, actually, before we move on. Is that the fastest win that Volkov has had in the UFC? It's two minutes in. Let's see. Yeah, actually, that that might be his fastest win ever. Mm, for, fastest win in a major promotion. He didn't get a win like that in Bellator. He beat Attila Vey at 238 in the first round in M1. Never mind. He had a first round. He had an early first round finish in Bellator, so I'll give him that. But in the UFC, this is his fastest win by a good amount, too. His fastest win prior to this was a second round win over Walt Harris. So kudos to Alexander Volkov. He just seems to be a, the gatekeeper of this division. You know, Aspinall beat him. Gone beat him. Blades beat him. The Derek Lewis fight very, very close, but Lewis ended up getting a title shot, I think, off of that win against Volkov, if I'm not mistaken. So Volkov seems to be that guy that if you beat him, now you're suddenly people are talking about you being in title contention. Aspinall versus Blades. Those those guys both beat Volkov, and one of those guys is going to you know, continue to rise up the heavyweight ranks. That's an exciting fight coming up in a, about a month and a half. So kudos to Volkov uh, on that win. I thought that he... Uh, people definitely should be talking about 
how good this guy is. And I, I've always been, I've always liked uh, Volkov. And I, for whatever reason, I started to get under this impression that he was a, like a decision machine. But looking back at his history, I mean, this guy gets a lot of finishes. So I think uh, I'm going to have to remove that notion from my brain going forward because he is able to win a lot of fights inside the distance, including a first-round finish right here against uh, Rosenstrike. Now, where Rosenstrike goes from here, I have no idea. It's just going to be even, the heavyweight sausage factory is just going to keep putting these guys into these five-round main events or main card fights. That machine just continues to rule. But, and I think that Rosenstrike is just going to be kind of put in a mix among those fighters. Like If you look at the, the heavyweight division now, let's take a look here. Nothing moved. I mean, Volkov was seven and Rosenstroke was eight. And Aspinall's ranked above Volkov, so and Aspinall just beat Volkov. So Volkov just holds strong at seven. But we're going to see, I think, Rosenstroke versus Dawkins, Rosenstroke versus Tybura, Rosenstroke versus Pavlovich, versus Abdurakhimov. Like, all these names. Maybe Alexander Romanov, because that's a good way to get Romanov into the top ten. I think that Romanov probably beats Jarzinho Rosenstroke. But that's kind of where Rosenstrike is now. Now he's that guy who's kind of going to face the bottom half of that division. And that would have been Volkov if he lost, I think. So kudos to Volkov. Holds strong at number seven in the heavyweight rankings. This week, UFC 275 in Singapore and also the Road to UFC Singapore tournament. Both are taking place in Kalang, Singapore, at the Singapore Indoor Stadium. And I love this card, at least the main card. I mean, the rest of it is, eh, you can do better, but it's still a, still a fun card from uh, top to bottom. Main card's a lot of fun, especially those top three fights. You got Glover versus Yuri Prokashka, Valentina Shevchenko against Tyler Santos, and Zhang Veli against Joanna Yunjechik. Yunjechik. I had to practice that several times before speaking to her. It's Yi On Drechik. Drechik. It's a weird pronunciation. But in the interview with her, I pronounced it much better than I am right now. So that's when it counts. When the lights were on and it mattered, that's when I rose to the occasion. But I said it like 200 times in preparation for that interview. And speaking of that interview, it will be alongside interviews with Glover Teixeira, Valentina Shevchenko, and Yuri Prokashka, as well as UFC President Dana White on the interview edition of the TSN MMA show, which should be coming your way very, very soon. So... Make sure you check that out. It was great speaking to all of those individuals. Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prokashka. I love this fight. I think this is going to be... I mean, really, it's going to go one of two ways. I think one person is going to be able to implement their game plan, which would be for Prokashka, hitting Glover early, first round, trying to take his head off, knock him out. The longer you let Glover Teixeira stay in a fight the more of a chance he has of turning the tables on you, which he's done so many times in the past. And I think for Glover, he's going to take a big shot and probably get a takedown and then try to do what Glover does, which could be a ground and pound finish, could be a submission. The problem I have here from a matchup standpoint, if you're supporting the Prokhajka side, is that he's a little bit too reckless. And that's the last guy you want to be reckless against because Glover Teixeira is one of the most opportunistic fighters right now in combat sports. He finds these openings and is able to seize them quickly. Along the lines of a Charles Oliveira, very similar type of fighter in that realm, where if you give him an opening, he's going to take it. And Yuri Prokashka, if he doesn't fight smart, 
he's going to leave an opening. And if he does fight smart and he gets a little bit too technical, it's not really the way he, he rolls. So when you look at Glover, and he's the underdog here, I think he's got a, you know, to me it's a total dogger pass if you're, if you're betting on it, unless you're looking at angles. Like if you're going to look at Prokhajka, you take the, the KO prop at minus 125 on FanDuel. Because that's really, I think, he has essentially a puncher's chance. I hate to say it because he's such a big favorite, but that's what he has. It's basically a puncher's chance. He has to catch Teixeira with his strikes. And it's weird to have a minus 215 favorite have a puncher's chance, but he's not going to take Teixeira down and submit him. If he does, I'll be very impressed. Like, what's, what's the, what are the odds on a, a sub for Prokashka? 20, plus 2,600. So, I mean, listen, if he does that, I will be wowed. But I do not think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see either a KO from Yuri. And for Glover, I think he can win from an assortment of ways. I think that he could he could rock Prokashka, take him down. And I think it will be one on the ground for Teixeira, but not necessarily by submission or strikes. But I think submission is the way that I would lean if I had to guess. And that's why I think if you take him straight up at plus 164, you're kind of covering yourself. But I also think that if you can get the submission prop, FanDuel has it boosted at plus 500 right now. You take that. And then I also like the round props, Glover sub round one and round two, plus 1100, plus 1700. I don't think this fight's going to be very long. I would be shocked if it enters the third round. So, we'll see how this one goes. If it ends up going long, hey, I mean, listen, these are fights. And they can end in so many different varieties of ways. Look what happened in that Inoue boxing match today. Second round. These guys are tiny guys. But anything can happen in combat sports. It's, that's, what we'll, that's why we love it. So I think that Glover at the, this odds, you have to, it's a dogger pass, like it's a, in my opinion. And I think this is going to be a really exciting fight. I, personally, the way I think it's going to play out is Yuri's going to hit Glover with something. Glover's going to wake up. <laughs> He's going to take him down. And then we'll see how, where it goes from there. But I think that uh, Yuri's grappling we haven't seen a ton of at this high of a level. Look at the two UFC fights, basically against strikers. You got Uzdemir and you got Dominic Reyes. And those guys weren't going to look to take him down. He's really going to have to mind his P's and Q's against Glover. This is by far the most well-rounded opponent he's fought. At least in the UFC. He has some good experience outside of the UFC. But who's his biggest win outside the, of the UFC? Is it King Mo in 2019? Like 2019 Is it Brandon Halsey who was fighting up a division, I believe? I don't think Halsey was a, was a middleweight, was he not? He was the former Bellator champion at what? Middleweight, yeah. Got stripped on the scale. But those like those wins that he has... I mean, the Vadim Nemkov win, of course. That's a big one. It's 2015 Vadim Nemkov. So we're talking six years ago. Six plus years ago. That's got to be his biggest win. But in recent years, like his biggest win outside the UFC, probably King Mo. So he's not fighting guys that are the caliber of a championship Glover Teixeira. That doesn't mean he's not going to beat him. I'm just I'm just laying it out, and I, I'm laying out the case for why I think Glover is a, a really strong underdog pick. Forty-two years old. He's definitely not fighting like a forty-two-year-old. He's he's won six in a row against the former champion Jan Blahovic, Tiago Santos, Anthony Smith. So all three of those are title either holders or challengers. 
And then solid wins over the likes of Nikita Krylov, Iwan Kutelaba, Carl Roberson. Not the best wins in hindsight, but still good wins uh, over the course of the streak. His last loss was to Corey Anderson, the uh, current Bellator. Oh, sorry, not the current Bellator champion. I forgot that was uh, <laughs> that was a no contest. The guy who probably should be the Bellator champion right now. That's the main event. The co-main. This one is super interesting to me as well. Because nobody's talking about Tyler Santos. Nobody knows who she is, I would think. Nobody, like if, if, people, if you ask her how, what kind of fighter she is, if you ask people, they're, they're not going to know. I think that as this week goes on, by the time Friday rolls around, we're going to see Shevchenko in the minus 1,000 range. And I think that you have to take Tyler Santos under those circumstances. Personally. Even right now at plus 480 on FanDuel. I think that number is going to climb up, and I personally think that Tyler Santos is a very live underdog in this spot. Because she's so well-rounded. She's really good on the feet, has a Muay Thai background, has been doing it since she was nine years old. Her dad was a Muay Thai instructor. Her submission game is really strong. Her grappling is solid. I think wherever this fight goes, she's going to be able to hang with Shevchenko. Now, is she going to be able to beat Shevchenko? I don't know. I just think this fight is a lot closer than the line would indicate. Nobody knows who Tyler Santos is or what she's good at. But if you go back and watch her fights, since her one and only career loss, she has not lost a round. And she has made it look fairly easy. Her striking's really good. Her grappling is really good. I think wherever this fight goes, she's going to be able to hang with Valentina Shevchenko. And hey, I could be totally wrong because Shevchenko's a dominant beast and has made easy work of everybody in this division. But I think Tyler Santos might be her toughest challenge to date in this division. She's just entering her prime. I think she's 28 years old. Just approaching her prime. Has looked really, really good. When I watched her on the Dana White Contender Series Brazil the first time, I said, I thought, you know, this girl has something. Her light kicks are so good. Her stand-up, is, her fundamentals, really, really good. Technical striking, really solid. Her defense is really good, right? I just think that this is a fight that is a lot closer than advertised. Zhang Veili is a minus-180 favorite. Yan Jacek... Plus 140. I think that the best value you're going to get is Jin Jacek by decision. I don't think that this fight ends inside the distance. Both girls incredibly durable. I think Rose Nami Yunus is the only one to, to finish both either of them. Actually, did you, no, Yoana went the distance with Jevchenko, if I'm not mistaken. So well, let me just double check this because I, I think that they've only. Let's see. Yeah, one one knockout loss for Joanna. That was against Rose, and for Whaley, she has one knockout loss as well against Rose. So, personally, I think this is going to be a, a fight that goes to a decision. I think it's actually not going to be close to as exciting as the first fight, just because of the circumstances. We got a three round fight, no title on the line. I think that Joanna wants to fight a more Fundamentally sound game plan. I don't think that she wants to get into a war here from hearing her interviews and hearing her talk about it. I think that that's probably the game plan. And I think Wei Li could could afford to be a little bit more technical too. But the one thing that worries me about Zhang Wei Li is she keeps bouncing around camps. She used to train exclusively in China. Then she moves over to Fight Ready in Arizona. Didn't have a ton of success there because she lost twice to Rose. Um, I don't think that she was with Fight Ready the first time around, but the second time around she definitely was. 
now she's training at like a private gym in Thailand, like a very small gym. She's not training at, at Tiger Muay Thai. She's training at a very small gym. And fighters really need that consistency. And I don't think Zhang has it right now. And I also think that that first fight took something out of her. That that took a piece of her. And not not to say that it didn't take a piece of Joanna as well. But Joanna hit the reset button, I think, at the right time. Took a step back. Waited to reignite her passion for the sport. And then dedicated all of her time to it. Um, so I, I lean, based on, on the, the betting lines, I would have to get, lean Joanna. I think it's probably... Uh, you can make a case for, for Whaley, but... Personally, I think that Joanna, by decision, it's going to be probably in the in the close to close to the plus two fifty range eventually when when Fanduel puts it up. That is the way that I would lean, and I, that's a fight that I think is very exciting. I, you know, it's it's going to be good to see Joanna back. So those are the big three for UFC two seventy five and uh, a couple other matchups to look at. Rogerio uh, Bontorin taking on Manel Cop. Manel Cop is uh, starting to really turn the corner, isn't he? He's won two in a row after losing his first two UFC fights. Split decision loss to Mateus Nicolau and then really lost a bad one to Pantoja. Uh, tough decision, but the pretty pretty one-sided decision to Pantoja. It was a good fight, and he, he definitely put up a fight, but I think it was, that was a pretty clear win for Pantoja. Since then, flying the KO against uh, Ode Osborne and then uh, KO of Zhalgas Zhumagulov. Bontarin is uh, going to be an interesting matchup for him. Very well-rounded, but I think that at some point in time, Cop finds a finish in this one. I'd be interested to see what the decision prop is for Manel, because Bontarine's not really... He's no pushover. But uh, that might be worth a look. But uh, in a flyweight fight, I don't think you're going to get a ton of value on that. Jack Della Madalena against Ramazan Emiev. Now, this is an interesting one, because looking at the the betting line for this one, Jack Della Madalena is minus 166. And this could be one of those situations where you look back and say, I can't believe I could have gotten this guy that cheap. Because this guy just seems to be someone who's really on the rise in terms of uh, his career trajectory since being on the Contender Series. He had a really tough opponent in uh, Angie Lusa, who is now in the UFC on the Contender Series. And from there... Got a win over Pete Rodriguez in his UFC debut. Short notice opponent. He was a massive favorite. But looked great in that fight. This is going to be his toughest test to date against Emiev. He hasn't fought anybody close to as good as, as Emiev. And that's why the line is what it is. Because I think people are wondering, like, just how good is this guy? And that's why he's just a small favorite, minus 166. But I would lean him winning this fight. You know, Emiev... He lost to Danny Roberts because he's just he's, he he's grapple 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 all the time, and I think right now the judges are starting to really. And I don't know if it's the judges changing their, the way that they're doing it, but I think the more that people become aware of the criteria, which is I I feel like there's been a lot more education about it lately. I think the, the judges are going to be more open to scoring fights like that for the fighter that's doing the damage and not the one that's trying to control, control, control. So very interesting fight for Della Maddalena. That's the way I would lean in this one is, is Della Maddalena getting a win. Sung Woo Choi taking on Josh Kulabau. This is kind of a close fight. I mean, Sung, Sung Woo Choi has been something of a disappointment, I think, in the UFC. He's, looked, he's always looked good in his fights, but he, he makes mistakes very often. He should win this fight, but this is 
one that I would stay away from at this price. Brendan Allen against Jacob Malkoon. Allen minus 310. I just don't know how Malkoon wins this fight because if he takes a grappling-heavy approach, you know, Brendan Allen's so crafty in the grappling realm. He could snatch his neck. He could do a lot of damage off the bottom. And then on the feet, I think Allen's got the advantage too. And I think that's why Allen is a minus 310 favorite. I think Allen wins this fight. Steve Garcia, minus 186 against Maheshate, who is plus 144. Would probably call this one a dog or pass. Andre Fialyu, second straight pay-per-view for him. He's a minus 156 favorite over Jake Matthews. I think he finds a KO in this one. I'd be curious to see what a, uh, a first-round KO prop is for this uh, if uh, if one comes out because I think that's kind of the way that I would lean in this one. Dana Butgaray, minus 164. Kyung Ho Kung, plus 128. I like Kung here. I've always been... I'm, I'm like a, a stand for Kyung Ho Kung. One of my favorite fighters to watch. Weird to say because he's like a perpetual <laughs> prelim guy. But I just like the way he fights. He's a smart fighter. Good technical fighter. Doesn't make a lot of mistakes, although he did in his last fight. Silvana Gomez-Juarez, minus 172. Nal Yang, plus 134. And I think that says a lot about what people think of Nal Yang, that someone who lost their first two fights in the way that Juarez did is that big of a favorite over anybody in the UFC. That's a pass from me. Jocelyn Andrews, minus 192. Ramona Pasquale, plus 148. I wasn't very impressed with Pasquale in her debut. I mean, it just seemed like she wasn't able to put anything together. I think Edwards is underrated. Uh, I would lean the Edwards side. Pasquale in her debut took on Josie Ann Nunez, who just was, just, you know, she showed her toughness by by winning by uh, staying in that fight until the decision. But right now, Edwards on a two fight losing streak. I think that she turned it around here against Pasquale, and that's the entire card, top to bottom, right there. UFC two seventy five, and then you've got the road to the UFC tournament going on, and I'm I can't wait to watch that. I, I'm eager to see what a lot of the talent from Southeast Asia looks like in these particular fights so i will be i'm not gonna stay up i'm not i'm not you know i'm not gonna stay up till 2 30 a.m to watch the whole thing i'll watch it after i'll watch it on delay i'll try to avoid the uh, spoilers if i can but obviously i can't let that preclude me from doing my job and being on social media and reporting whatever i can report but first thing when i get into the office that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rewatch Road to the UFC and see how it goes. Because I'm, I'm eager to see what uh, those fights are like. And I think it's a cool idea. I think that whenever they travel to these international destinations, they should do that. They put together these mini tournaments. I was going to say you can't have too many tournaments in MMA, but if you remember the old Bellator days where everything was a tournament, yeah, it got, got stale after a while. But everyone likes a good tournament in, the, in uh, mixed martial arts. So Road to the UFC or Road to UFC. No, no the in there. Road to UFC tournament. Interested in seeing how that one plays out. Also, going on in the uh, world of mixed martial arts, we're going to see how things uh, play out in the featherweight division. As I mentioned off the top, you got Bryce Mitchell talk- lobbying for Chen Sung Jung. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Evloyev lobby for Bryce Mitchell or maybe Chen Sung Jung. But UFC 275, I think we're going to learn a lot about uh, just how good Glover Teixeira is at this late, late age. 42 years old. 
pretty unbelievable to see him continue to uh, do what he's doing at that age. And uh, I think that this division, the light heavyweight division, it's not a whole lot more people for him to beat. Like I think the, the, the rematch with Jan Blachowicz might be on the horizon, but we've also got Anthony Smith taking on Ankalaev at the end of July. That could could tell us a lot about what's going on. Jamal Hill is uh, taking on Tiago Santos in August. He's somebody that's coming up. Paul Craig, I believe, is taking on Uzdemir in London. And Paul Craig is on, on a roll right now as well. Late career renaissance for him. But in terms of age, I mean, not really a comparison to Glover. It's been great seeing Glover doing what he's doing. He's just... You you can't help but root for the guy. He just seems like the nicest guy on on the planet. Remember when he was on top of uh, Anthony Smith and was apologizing to him? Sorry about this, man. <laughs> Ref wasn't stopping the fight. Jason Herzog, you know what? To his defense, in Jason Herzog's defense, a lot of people come after him for that one. I, Anthony Smith was still in that fight, and he was still moving. He was doing whatever the referee asked him to do. He was doing. Got to keep moving. He kept moving. Got to defend yourself. Defended himself. So I can't, I can't fault him for not stopping that fight. I'm sure Anthony Smith is happy that he didn't stop the fight either. But we're going to learn a lot about that. And uh, I think we're going to see the winner of... It's crazy how this division, the strawweight division, could come completely full circle if Ioana and Jacek gets a win over Zhang Veili. Because now we're going to see, if again, if Ioana wins, basically, the first ever championship bout in the strawweight division was Rose versus Carla. Carla defeats Rose... And then faces Joanna in the second ever strawweight title fight. Now we're back to square one. Carl's the champion again, and Joanna's pushing for the title shot. It's pretty crazy to think about. And I really enjoy speaking to Joanna this week. It seems like she has really changed her mentality. She's not as... I don't know what it is. She just seems to have peace of mind. She seems to have control over her career. And I think that's kind of what was missing for her for a while. Is she was in the champion lifestyle for so long that it eventually just wore on her. She wasn't able to be who she wanted to be. And if she's able to use this mentality to become champion again, what a great story that would be for her to recapture the belt. How many years, let's say, for, let's say if she, again, if she wins this fight and ends up facing Carla, what's the... Uh, it would be about five years without the title to get back into the title mix. Carla, I believe, was seven years to get back to becoming a champion. That's just wild. It's so interesting, the conversation of who the greatest strawweight of all time is, because that loss that Rose took to Carla, like, Rose probably could have cemented herself if she got a good win over Carla on that night, and instead, the perception on Rose changed completely. So if Joanna ends up winning this fight against Zhang Veili, she'll like she's going to be in the same position as Rose was. She'll have beaten every champion that the division's ever had except for one, and that one for her would be Rose. For Rose, it's Carla. And if Zhang Veili ends up beating Joanna, she'll have beaten two of them. So she'll have beaten Carla and Joanna, but the two losses to—I mean, she's already beaten Joanna and she's already beaten Carla. So never mind. Throw that one out the window. Forget what I just said. Pretend it never happened. I won't tell anybody if you don't. 
But we're going to see a lot of where these divisions are going to be going. Once again, I implore you to check out the TSN MMA Show interview edition. It's available wherever you find your podcasts. And I think that this particular week, we've got a really stacked lineup. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm, it also looks like I'm going to be going to the big boss's office next month and spending some time with him there. bit of a longer form interview. Really looking forward to that because I haven't been to Vegas since March of 2020. And I think that was the last time I interviewed Dana in his office was in March of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. So, speaking of coming full circle, it's the way it's feeling heading into International Fight Week. International Fight Week in, what, about three, three or four weeks' time? Sneaking up on us? So many UFC cards right now. Whew. <laughs> if you just look at the sheer volume of, of MMA that's coming our way in the next little bit, it's going to be a, a real tidal wave of of cards. And I'm here for it because I, I love this sport. I love watching these cards. Even this past weekend, you look at the Volkov and uh, Rosenstreich card, another one of those ones that delivers. Doesn't look great on paper, but ends up delivering. And I know people argue, well, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. You know, We shouldn't be watching these cards if they're not going to put together quality lineups. I say hogwash to that because I just love watching it. I'm one of these uh, these people that if the UFC puts together a fight night with anybody on their on their roster, I'm going to watch it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to. And of course, I cover this for a living. But even if I wasn't covering it, I would I would make sure to go out of my way to watch it. That's just the way that that's just my my makeup. That's just my makeup. So that's where we're at right now in the other world of mixed martial arts. And I'm looking forward to. Watching this weekend's card, Saturday, Teixeira taking on Prokashka. I made my TSN edge picks if you'd like to hear them. Oh, before I do that, two weeks ago, I mentioned I was going to try lemonade with espresso and report back my findings. So I actually looked it up, and it seems like this is a drink that they sell like in some of the more uh, bohemian parts of town. And I tried it. It was okay. It was no coconut water and espresso which is my, uh, my drink of choice of late. Especially when the summer's rolling around. I, I'm an iced coffee guy in the summer. I, I, I transition from hot coffee to iced coffee. As soon as we, we hit June 21st, I'm all iced coffee, especially when the weather's nice. Really, whenever the weather's nice, I'm going iced coffee for the most part. And I'll, have it, I'll dabble in iced coffee during the, uh, the colder months, but I'm, I want to try mixing espresso with all kinds of different things and see how it, see how it goes. It seems to work with a lot of things. It's a very versatile beverage, coffee. A lot of people say, oh, I gotta have my, gotta drink black coffee. Well, well, gotta, that's the way it's supposed to be drank. Not so. I believe there are many different ways you can drink and enjoy coffee. I'll have a coffee with cream, no problem. I'll have a coffee with milk. I'll have a coffee black. I'll take it any variety. However you want to give me a coffee, as long as there's not too much sugar in it. Or any sugar. Personally, I don't take sugar, but that's not a, that doesn't mean it's wrong to take sugar. Sometimes I put maple syrup in my coffee if I want to have something a little sweeter. Coffee is a versatile beverage. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And now I forgot where I was going to go before I started ranting about coffee. Hopefully it wasn't important. Hopefully it was nothing revelatory. 
But UFC 275 this weekend. I'll be watching. You should be watching too. Good card. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think Glover's going to pull it out. I do. And if I'm right about Tyler Santos, I'll be patting myself on the back. And if I'm wrong, I'll just say, oh, it was a big underdog play. Oh, I was just throwing darts. But if I'm right, oh, you'll be hearing about how great of a prognosticator I am. It's the way it tends to work with those who make picks. If it's a great pick, pat on the back. You, you saw me this past weekend. Oh, I was going to give you my TSN Edge picks. That's where I was going to go. But you saw me this past weekend. First fight, Blanchfield by sub. Had it, plus 500 as my dart. And I was quiet for the rest of the night. Not a, not a lot of great stuff happened from there. So we just we, we neglect to mention. But you know what? That one dart throw is enough to cover, cover the losses. So we're going to throw a bunch of darts this week. But let's just talk about the straight picks. I'm taking Glover to Shara. Right now, I believe it's plus 164. I'm parlaying Manel Kopp, Brendan Allen, and Jocelyn Edwards. I'm taking Kyung Ho Kung as an underdog. Those are my three main picks. And then for darts, I'm taking Glover by sub, which at FanDuel has a boost right now at plus 500. I'm also going to sprinkle a little bit on Glover. Round one sub is 1,100, plus 1,100. Glover round two sub, plus 1,700. I'm going to sprinkle on those. And then my other very surprising dart pick is Tyler Santos, who, again, I think as the week goes on, you're going to see the line's going to get better and better and better. And I'm also waiting for the line on uh, Joanna by decision from our friends uh, over at FanDuel. I'll probably be taking that too. And I'm, I'm thinking about taking Naliang, but uh, I don't know enough. I'm going to have to watch some watch some of her uh, some of her previous fights, but I, I don't feel that comfortable doing that. So let's stay away from that one. But, Tyler Santos, I'm telling you, at those odds, good value. Not to say that she's going to win. But let's look, looking at Valentina, let's look at her previous fights and, and where the lines were at. And see who... Tyler Santos is a bigger underdog then. So she was a massive favorite against Lauren Murphy. Minus 1250. So this basically is the closest lined flyweight, women's flyweight championship fight since Valentina fought Joanna in Toronto in 2018. So in three and a half years. This is the most closely lined we've had against Shevchenko. And I think, again, as the week goes on, this opened at the same exact same number as Shevchenko versus Karmouche. But I think as this goes as the week goes on, we're gonna see this line climb higher and higher and higher. These people are gonna be adding Shevchenko. People don't know anything about Tyler Santos. And they're just gonna keep adding Shevchenko to their uh their parlays. And I think that's when you pounce. You keep your eye out on Friday. You're gonna see Tyler Santos probably in the plus six hundred range, plus seven hundred range. If you can get her at that price, I think you're getting good value. Because I think that this is the toughest challenger that Shevchenko has had since Joanna Jacek. And Santos is a natural flyweight. Let's see how it goes. But uh, yeah, this line, I think, should be a lot closer based on what I've seen from Tyler Santos. Young, super well-rounded. Shevchenko hasn't fought an opponent like that for some time. In fact, when was the last time she fought somebody in her 20s? I don't even know. I don't know how old Jennifer Maya is, but doesn't seem like she's fighting a lot of upstarts, but she's really fought like a who's who of fighters. Well, actually, what was the line against Jukagian? Yeah, even against Jukagian. Jukagian was closed at around plus 700. 
So that's probably around the range where Tyler Sanders, I think, is going to close. So let's leave it at that. This has been the TSN MMA Show. Thank you for tuning in. And as I mentioned, go to wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can hear the interview edition featuring Dana White, Valentina Shevchenko, Glover Teixeira, Yuri Prokhashka, and Joanna Jacek. So be sure to check that out because that is going to be available very soon. And if you have a chance to rate and review the show, please do. I also hope you're enjoying the monologue. Please feel free to give me some feedback about how you like this new feature of the show. And uh, next week, Bazooka Joe will likely be back with me to recap UFC 275. He's actually heading to New Jersey for the uh, Glory card, the Glory Infusion card. They're doing a card together. Some of the top talent in Glory against some of the top talent in Infusion. Kickboxing extravaganza. So Joe is heading to New Jersey to call that. And then next week he'll be back and uh, joining me to recap this UFC 275 card. So thank you to Joe. It's always been great, great having Joe over the years, and Joe will continue to be a part of the show moving forward, just not as frequently as he had been. And I want to thank you, the fan, the fans of MMA, the listener. Thank you for sticking with me. And with that, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.